You are listening to the Worlding Podcast, where we explore the relationship of how we are both shaping and being shaped by our surroundings. The podcast traces interconnections by inviting each episode's guest to pass on the mic to someone who has influenced their world. And now, here's your host, dance artist Renee Schadler. Hello, friends. Today we continue our 11th string figure with my guest, Daniel Hengst, a media artist whose projects often center non-human subjects and deal with the potential of digital technologies to encourage social change. Thanks so much for chatting with us today. Hi, Renee. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be a part and to be a guest here. And I'm really thankful also for Oli, who invited me or who proposed me to the second part of this 11th string figure. To start the conversation, can you tell myself and listeners a little bit about your current surroundings and how they are welding you, so shaping you in this very moment? Yeah, actually, I'm in the moment. I'm in Essen, uh, which is uh, more or less the second city I live in. Um, first one is Berlin. And so I'm moving between these cities sometimes. And it's a really, I think Essen is really even more than Berlin, a very car-centric city. Um, and uh, you have a little, only a little green in the city, a little areas uh, that look in a way natural <laughs> or um, where flowers could grow or trees could stand. Uh, and so, so this is always, I'm always occupied with these uh, different surroundings that we humans create. Uh, and it always uh, shapes also my mode of working, the time that I'm spending in the city, in the flat, outside of the flat. And actually, currently, I'm sitting in front of my computer. Uh, so I'm sitting at my desk. There's a little plant also on the desk. Uh, a lot of things are laying around, a bit chaotic. Uh, but this is, I guess, normal <laughs> for myself and for the world I'm working in. So I know you're very interested in surroundings because I had the pleasure of recently seeing your solo exhibition at Haunt Berlin and experienced your virtual reality artwork, Blooming Love, which explored the simulated peatlands of Latvia. Can you share with listeners who may not be familiar with peat what this substance is, this material as you refer to it? Yes, sure. This is, uh, it's actually something I also stumbled across only some years ago because when I went the first time with my dear colleague and friend Beck Berger, uh, to Latvia, uh, it was amazing and I was, uh, surprised how little I would know about peatlands and about what peat is. Peat is actually a material uh, consisting out of halfly or non-decomposed material, plant material most of the time, uh, that is, is uh, not decomposing, meaning uh, the CO2 that is stored throughout the life of a plant will not be going again into the atmosphere. So it will stay in the material and thereby it will stay underground. It will be stored in the earth. And that's why it's also very important for um, uh, tackling and fighting climate change uh, that peatlands 
should still exist and that we as humans uh, uh, should take care of peatlands uh, so that the peat could grow and grow and grow uh, instead of taking the peat out. For example, peat is used um, uh, for medicine but, and also for um, alcoholic industries. But the most of the time peat is used for gardening. Uh, so it's about um, sometimes you go to a shop and you can buy peat for your balcony, uh, soil for your balcony. And this is enriched with peat. Uh, and these things you should think about twice because it's this peat that is coming from these peatlands, meaning this peat needs to be harvested from these areas and thereby the peatlands are destroyed. Mm. When I was experiencing blooming love, I was there with my partner and his 70-year-old mother, 70 plus, I might add. <laughs> and for us, it was so exciting to put on these VR goggles and be transported to the peatlands and especially the ability to experience different levels of the ecosystem, which would not have been available to us otherwise. So with my partner's mum, it was very exciting for her to bend her knees, for example, and look below the soil line. Can you share a little bit that process of finding that information and creating really this closeness between visitors to the exhibition and the peatlands, which many of us haven't experienced in real life? I'm feeling very happy and uh, to hear this, uh, that you had this experience and how you described the experience. Uh, I, when I started to create the artwork, I was really interested in intimacy between plant and humans. Uh, so I was asking myself the question, is there an intimacy already um, that I maybe not experience so much throughout my daily life? And if so, how can this intimacy be brought to visibility, to sensibility uh, through a different medium like in this, in this case VR, virtual reality? Um, and so I started to create this idea of a plant or a greenhouse for human plants relationships where people could enter and where not plants are growing, but where um, relations and emotions towards plants could grow. Uh, and so I wanted to bring plants and humans on eye level towards each other, um, meaning that you have to make the human always smaller because in the reality, people, humans are overarching everything. They are um, exploring every part of the world, um, inducing change all over the planet. Uh, and so I wanted to make the human smaller, make it more embedded into this peatland. And so that's why you are finding yourself on a very little or very... Um, very uh, like you, you will find yourself on the perspective of an insect or a little animal uh, that is traveling through the peatlands. What really struck me also with the artwork was that I wasn't able to change, as you're talking about this kind of impulse to change or manipulate or transform, because. I didn't have that function within the VR. I wasn't able to mow the lawn or really I could get close to plants and I could zoom in on plants, but I, I couldn't break off a leaf or something like this. Obviously, that was a very 
active part of your creation of the work and an active choice. How did that come about also in terms of creating this level playing field? This was, it's also going back to the first encounters I made with peatlands in Latvia. So we met uh, a scientist there, Agnese Priede, uh, and she told us about the way uh, how peatlands would be restored after the mining that took place throughout the Soviet occupation of Latvia. Um, uh, and so it was uh, a moment where she said, actually, uh, the best thing you could do to restore peatlands is to is to leave them alone. And I think this is also, um, you can think about a lot of different biomes, a lot of different nature areas where the same would fit, the same uh, sentence could fit. If we would leave this nature, um, uh, the nature would restore itself without our um, need to support it and so on and so on. Um, so that was one of the major starting points for me to trying to think about how to get rid uh, let's say, of a, a kind of a human activeness, a human interaction into this uh, virtual lens, into the representation of a real uh, nature, um, and how to create a kind of an experience space where you would experience how, what it would be to be reduced to your mere gaze so that you are not a, uh, an active uh, or an acting subject anymore, but you are only a, a kind of a only, and I mean it in quotes, mm -hmm. uh, you are a, an, a, a passive um, a desirer, right? You're a, a person that is looking at it through these technologies maybe, or through a kind of an, an absence. You are creating a proximity in an absence and thereby creating a desire uh, or having a desire uh, to net, not entering these these natural areas anymore, uh, because this is the most loving thing we could do for this nature um, to leave it alone, actually. And this was uh, one also of these ideas or thoughts I had while making uh, these artworks, and thereby I was also going away more and more about what it would mean to also uh, in, include my own artistic practice, my handwriting of something that I did. And so I took myself also more and more away uh, and made the plants more and more realistics, realistic. You know what I mean? Mm, totally. It also reminds me of a time in 2017, I went for a walk in peatlands in Finland I was with an environmental researcher and we came back from the walk and she said very casually, your footprints will be embedded in the landscape for six years. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it was really for me such a deep uh, learning about impact actually. Mm -hmm. And um, the walk had really filled me up with lots of impressions. So... I really appreciate that you're also allowing this observer role to be there because I remember the smells very acutely. I remember it was quite foggy, like very typical kind of November Finland weather. Mm -hmm. um, but the the sadness or this feeling of guilt knowing that these steps now are imprinted in the peat for six years was... Um, mm. 
yeah, it's, it's heavy also. So I think in that way, using your creativity to create this intimacy or form these moments of exchange is, is really potent, especially in this moment. Mm. I really like uh, how you depict it or how you remember this moment. But I think also we should not underestimate this term of interacting into nature because it's something, as you said, like having a hike, having a walk, and these footsteps are inscribed six years. This is already a lot of things. But then if you think on the scale that is really the problem for interacting with nature, meaning big machines harvesting peat or um, uh, the drainage of peatlands, like that, that, so that the water is like being taken out of the soil. Um, these are like the big steps. Uh, this is what what I would think of most of the time while creating this. This is the activity that needs to be stopped or that needs to be. Uh, at least questioned uh, why we are doing this and how we are doing it. Uh, so I think uh, the hike and this personal approach of interacting or approaching a landscape is one thing, but I think the more crucial and the more important part is uh, these bigger scale things that happen. Yeah, absolutely. But then at the same time, the personal is political. And mm -hmm. at the moment, I am not in... Uh, in companionship with these big machines. However, I do use uh, soil on my balcony. So this is definitely mm -hmm. a way of um, being part of that conversation and uh, perhaps thinking next spring of, um, yeah, a different, a different uh, flowering soil or, um, yeah, something, something from the, the market that could be an alternative. I want to, dive a little bit more into the actual VR itself, Daniel, because I recently was part of a panel uh, for the opening of Free the Air, an aerosene symposium, and it was for a VR artwork created by Thomas Saraceno for the In Orbit exhibition at K21 in Dusseldorf. And my big kind of... Um, point or like interest was how we could approach this digital dualism which comes up sometimes in these virtual experiences being that the digital isn't the same as the real which often is true but that they also have a different value within our experiences so sometimes there is that ability to kind of wipe away a digital experience as just being Digital, you know, only digital, again, with your, your commas around that word. Yeah, this is a very interesting point. Um, and for me, to question technology is not at the core of my work. I am really would think of myself, I would love to think of myself more as someone who is post-internet or post-digital in the sense that I'm incorporating all these technologies more than that I'm asking or questioning them. For me, the, uh, the hyper-reality that is created through digital technologies is already a reality we are living it that is not separated from the real world that we found in the physical space. Uh, because the knowledge about these plans, the knowledge about climate change, the knowledge about 
I don't know, our ability to get a bank loan. All these kind of knowledges are based on hyper-realities created by digital tools. And so I think, um, and you can also reference the Jean Baudrillard and the simu simulation and the simulacra. Um, it's about this, uh, that these uh, encounters or these experiences in the digital world are relocating uh, the real so they are not like uh, um, only a digital thing that that can be forgotten afterwards. No, they through experiencing a digital peatland, this will relocate the real peatland. Um, when you once you made this experience, you will never see the peatland again through the same eyes. Um, uh, and this is only on a small scale in my work. But if you think this in a bigger scale as a kind of a, so I'm only one artist doing this, but if you think of this in a bigger scale, uh, you will see that it can change a lot about also our perception of the real. Mm. Yeah, I definitely feel, especially also with Corona, as a lot of things became digital due to the lockdown and a lot of relationships were also strengthened digitally as people were separated I feel like this conversation about digital dualism has also started to, yeah, I don't want to say change, but it's definitely transforming because hybrid now is also even more ingrained on a day-to-day -day level. Um, you mentioned the internet and these ways of creating information and sharing experiences, but it's really, yeah, it's very tactile for me somehow, like very... Haptic, And I felt that also in this VR artwork, like that we were literally bending our knees to look under the soil line, that mm -hmm. we were transforming our physicality, like our corporal physicality in mm -hmm. that very moment in relation to something that was digital, which I find absolutely amazing. And um, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. The VR goggles are really, are really something that I think even in a conversation with you, you mentioned that 60 to 70% of the experience is the technology. Yes, I think this is because, uh, let's say the medium is not really new, but it's for the most of the people, for us, it's new, right? That's a new thing that we encounter over the last five to 10 years. Uh, and um, it's being used more and more in games industry and in museums and so on and so on. But because for the most of us, it's the first or the second or maybe the third experience, uh, the medium itself is overlapping Uh, the art that I create in the medium or that it will be present present in the medium. Uh, and so the first thing that as an artist working with VR is always to um, to say to yourself, okay, there's a very big chunk of what people would experience that you that you can hardly tame. Uh, it's like coming from this big company's production site uh, with all the things that they put on it. And then maybe you have this little opportunity to get through with a kind of an idea you had for this medium or for this digital surrounding. Uh, and what is interesting, uh, seeing the responses from the audiences towards my work is that a lot of people really liked this kind of minimalism, uh, even though there are a lot of plans and they are highly detailed and it's really not a minimalistic environment. People 
always like tend to think of this as a minimalist thing because you are not allowed, as you said, to interact so much. This is the promise of the technology uh, that we always think of, that you can use a controller to cut something, to shoot something and so on and so on. But what we are doing here is, mm. or what I'm trying to, is to invert also this idea of interaction and to invert the idea uh, of uh of our ability to envision a better future uh, that we as innovators or as conquerors could change or have to change to create a better place. Uh, and because I think this is true, mostly for the human sphere, this is also something we should uh, challenge ourselves totally. But on the other hand, we should also see that our efforts in innovating and in conquering the future, um, it's uh, always like also affecting the non-human world in a more, um, not so good way, <laughs> actually. Uh, and this is what uh, we should be aware of. And I think this medium has the ability, if you if you invert it a bit or if you reverse the ideas a bit that comes with the technology, with the promises of the technology, um, that you can experience this also a bit, uh, to become slow, to become quiet, to, uh, get, to get stuck in a kind of a dense environment that is not yours, maybe. Mm. Yeah, it really brings back an episode with Samuel Hertz, a sound designer and environmental researcher on the program who was talking about complexity theory and this idea also of taking a back seat, like what is it also to observe and realize that maybe the human species is not the species to jump in again, you know, and take the leadership, but actually mm -hmm. take a moment to see what else presents itself. I want to move now around the exhibition because we've spent a lot of time on Blooming Love and you actually had a solo exhibition, so there were a few artworks there. And there was one based on artistic movement and tropic movement, which has a very beautiful German title, but I'll let you pronounce that. And within this artwork, you were posing the question of whether we are willing to empathize with non-human living forms and grant them an autonomous intrinsic value, which I think really just kind of puts the the point on exactly what we're talking about now like what is this really autonomous value that the plant life is giving mm. yeah this is uh this is very this is the very question that is like driving me uh, throughout the last four or five years uh and yeah the work is called in german nastien und tropismen um which, as you said, is like two different types of movement of plants. I was interested in um, how movement of plants can be a potential uh, to empathize. Um, I was interested in how movement of plants can be a potential uh, for empathy towards plants. How can we, uh, through this movement, maybe also encounter ourselves in these plans? Uh, and not by equalizing plans and humans, but by uh, making the difference more and more visible. Uh, so what you see in the artwork is a kind of a simulation that is in real time. So it's not a movie that is being played or a video. It's an algorithm that is 
uh, fueled by these 3D objects that I made from seven different plant species from the peatlands. Uh, and they have different algorithms uh, to um, do a certain movement that they would do also in real life. Um, so these, I call them plant avatars, are representing uh, these plants and their movements. And in the installation, uh, they can do them in high speed, actually. So the movement that would normally or realistically uh, could not be have seen through the human eye or through the human gaze is now like in a time lapse uh, being speed up and uh, the speed is not um, linear so it's always sometimes also uh, very slow again then it becomes uh, more uh, speed up so there's a kind of an, uh, a ch an always ongoing change uh, in this environment and there in the installation you can find three different screens on which these plants appear but most of the time only one plant or one screen um, is active and so you are becoming a kind of an object for these plants. So this is again, like I said before, I'm interested in this inverting of interactivity, who is moving whom. Um, this is something that I wanted to put in the middle of this, uh, of this installation. And so if you are entering the installation, you are not the one by moving your hands and the tracking of a 3D camera that is moving the plants, uh, as you find them, these installations very often in museums and in galleries. But uh, the thing is, vice versa, the plans are moving you uh, through the exhibition space. Um, and therefore, or, and thereby you are invited to move yourself with these plans. Um, then there are also different objects that invite you to even to move even more and in a specific way so there's this moment where this installation becomes also a kind of a performative moment let's say um where you are performing with these plants maybe let's say also dancing with these plants you could say um and i think there's a kind of a, a quality of uh, a new potential for emotion or for relation in that, that I'm really interested uh, in to find that out or to research where that lies. When does that start? How intense can it be? So these are things that is uh, that are like I'm interested in, um, and. Therefore, I'm using these yeah, simulated environments that are also growing in real time. Mm. Yeah, for me, it is such a strong example also of a welding practice of shaping and being shaped by our surroundings because I spend a lot of time in this room with my partner's mum. And I also noticed when we entered her initial like waving her arms or thinking if there were sensors. Um, you mentioned the three screens, which were in different parts of the room, but there was also a light installation and this relation between the light and the plant avatars on the screen was very strong. And it took a moment, I think, to calm down, to take a back seat, as Samuel Hertz said, and 
just begin to observe also this relation between the light and the screens. Mm. And definitely I was being led by the screens. So once a screen came to life and the the image of the plant was on the screen, I would move towards it. And it was only maybe the third round that I was like, oh, the screens are moving me, mm-hmm. you know? And then I think it takes also one step further to be like, oh, no, the, the plants are moving me. It's actually mm-hmm. what the screens are representing, again, to kind of break down the technology of like um, – light and electricity and input, which often also pulls us towards it, but really also to understand what the screens are representing and revealing to us. So it was something that also, in trying to figure it out, slowed me down. And Mm -hmm. I think that's exactly the politic of the work of really taking the time and working through very consciously the levels of one, waving arms to see if it's you, <laughs> two, you know, <laughs> noticing the electricity moving and that it's drawing you because it's colourful and exciting to actually what those pixels are revealing and another level of meaning-making that's presenting itself. So I think it's, yeah, a very a very powerful work in that way and something that does require time. Um which is interesting because when you go in, you know, you're moving through an exhibition and you can continue. So I think it's something, yeah, for people also to be conscious when they're entering into these spaces of what the the work is asking for also, like what is this invitation in relation to time and attention right now? Amazing. Thank you so much, Renee. This is so well said. And I'm really like, I'm super happy (laughs) that you have this kind of very, like very observing eye that is so like so specific. But thank you also for the work, because I think welding often is very um, subtle, you know, and I think during Corona or these moments of less input, a lot of people came to these conversations like very willingly, like there was a real desire for being in nature, being in contact, um, mm-hmm. understanding, observing from being in an apartment. But then as things started to speed up, I think a lot of older habits came. And then, of course, you know, there are crises continual crises in different parts of the world. So it's, um, yeah, it's really this artistic perspective or from many different fields, also scientific perspectives that are really requiring that we we stay with it, you know, stay with the trouble, as Donna Haraway would say. Mm-hmm. As part of this podcast, I'm inviting guests to share a proposition, a physical proposition that listeners and myself can embody your research. And I'm really curious about developing relations with non-human subjects. And perhaps you could share a proposition for this that we can experience with you now. Yes, I'm very glad that you invited me also to do this part or to think about it. Um, I was working in theater and in uh, performance art for a very long time as a media artist. Uh, But then I turned a little bit away and I was more concentrated on these screens and all these kind of technology. But I'm still very interested in... uh, And as you said, also the body is a part of uh, the installation I make there, right? So the body is always thought of. uh, So it's not that it's excluded, uh, like in a computer game or something, or most of the computer games. 
Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm trying something here now, uh, and I'm very interested how that works. Um, so I will, uh, it's like maybe like three minutes, five minutes. And whenever you want, uh, uh, you can make a pause and you can take your time in between. Um, and also, uh, yeah, let yourself go, let yourself flow with these kind of things. Um, and I will start now. So at first, I'd like to ask you to take your smartphone and uh, to enter your photo gallery. If you are in your photo gallery, then open the folder with your camera roll, meaning the photos you took yourself. If you are there, then please search for the most recent image that you took that depicts a plant. So if it's not obvious and easy to find, then take your time and look carefully through the previews of the images. Where is a plant? Where might be a plant? This plant didn't have to be in the center of the image. It could be also in a corner or behind the main subject of the picture. It could be at the edge of the image. It could be cropped by the camera. Doesn't matter. Just search for, is there a leaf, a trunk, a branch, or even the whole plant? So once you find that image, open the image, show the whole image full screen on your screen and look at the image for a moment. Remember the situation you took that photo. Where did you come from and where did you went? And who was with you maybe in that moment? Um, Think about yourself, how you were standing in that situation, how you were moving there, how you were like holding your arms to take this photo. So think about your body, look to your body from the outside now and think about the relation of your body to that scene in this minute, in this very second that you took the image. Ask yourself, what was the relation between you and the plant in that moment? Is there one? Now, zoom into the image as much as possible towards the plant and try to make the plant the main content of your screen. Now look at this plant. Do you know what kind of plant is this? Do you know the name of the species maybe? Did this plant grow up where it is standing on your image? Or was it brought there by someone or something? Maybe you can also know how old is this plant? And can you estimate if this plant is injured? Or is it healthy? Will it survive? Try to imagine now what movement this plant is maybe doing while growing. Make an assumption. For example, do the leaves unfurl? 
or do the tips of the blossom or the stalks twist as they stretch towards the sun. Create in your inner eye a time lapse of that plant growing and loop this movement over and over again. While looping, adjust the movement little by little so that it becomes more and more realistic. Now let this loop inform your body. Let the movement grow inside of your body. And if you feel like, start to move. Let the plant trigger your movement. Move with this plant. to come back to the microphone <laughs> moved away <laughs> I grew away mm. my photo was of a plant that's no longer with me it was a plant I spent some time with at a residency which I've now traveled back to my home mm -hmm. and left the plant behind so it's very interesting also to kind of also engage the memory in this task with a past photo mm -hmm. Like a, like a dedication to a plant you shared time with. It's not so really centering around this peatland uh, idea that I was working in the last three years, but it's uh, like one of the core questions, which was plant blindness as a kind of a inability of humans to see uh, plant life and to see the value and the intrinsic value of plant life. That is not only bound to our needs and to what we as human need from plants and with plants, but that plants have also an own life and own agenda and uh, needs. Uh, they have a social life and so on and so on. Um, so, and I think this is also, I trained myself also to look at these plants and to follow their lives, uh, these plants that surround me, um, and thereby looking for Yeah, potentials for emotions or for relations. Yeah, so I hope that listeners will continue this practice as they journey through their life and grow in different ways. Mm -hmm. This would be super nice, yes. <laughs> um, and finally, before we end this episode, I would be curious who you're going to pass on the mic to to continue the 11th string figure. Yes, thank you, Renee. This is a very amazing also proposition and opportunity for me. Um, and I would love to propose uh, my dear friend uh, and dance artist from Latvia, Agnese Borchukova. Great. I'm looking forward to that conversation and going to the heart of the peatlands to Latvia. Thank <laughs> you so much for contributing to the Welding Project and all the best with your work. I'm looking forward to following and attending your next exhibition. Thank you so much, Renee, for this very nice talk and your loving and open heart and eyes. <laughs> Have a great day. You too. 
Thank you for listening to the Worlding Podcast. Gefördert durch die Beauftragte der Bundesregierung für Kultur und Medien im Programm Neustart Kultur. Hilfsprogramm des Tanzen des Dachverband Tanz Deutschland.